Hi, I'm Mark Chavez. I'm one of the hosts of Let's Make a, a comedy docuseries podcast about the creative process. Each season, my co-hosts, Ryan Beal, Maddie Kelly, and I, take on an artistic challenge and you follow our journey. In Let's Make a Sci-Fi, we wrote a science fiction TV pilot. In Let's Make a Rom-Com, we wrote a romantic comedy film. And on our latest season, Let's Make a Horror, we produced a horror short film. And when we run into trouble, we interview Hollywood experts. People who have worked on big things like The Blair Witch Project, The Office, Star Wars, Mamma Mia, and more. All three seasons of Let's Make a are available now, wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. So Paul Simon walked into his studio at his home in Austin, Texas. He sat down across from me. He looked at me and he said, what T-shirt are you wearing? I had no way of knowing that that T-shirt would lead us talking about how Paul got his big break in music, about the early song from his career that he says changed his life. Paul's new album is a 33-minute song suite called Seven Psalms, and it's one of the greatest songwriters of our time, reflecting on belief, on life, and what comes after. He'll tell you about the dreams he had that told him to write it. A rare and exclusive conversation with Paul Simon coming up. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. So yeah, Paul Simon, one of the most significant songwriters of our time. Whether you're talking about his early days in the 60s with Simon and Garfunkel and songs like this. I am just a poor boy, though my story is seldom told. I have squandered my resistance. Or the huge impact he had as a solo artist with songs like Me and Julio Down by the Schoolyard or Still Crazy After All These Years or this one. You just slip out the back, Jack, make a new plan, stand. You don't need to be coy, Roy, just get yourself free. Hop on the bus. That's 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. But here's the thing. Paul Simon has just released his 15th solo record, and it's different than everything you just heard, both in sound and in inspiration. The record is just one piece, a 33-minute song cycle called Seven Psalms that Paul Simon says came to him in a dream. And what you hear when you listen to Seven Psalms is this generational songwriter at 81 years old asking the big questions about life and existence and belief. Paul recorded a lot of this record at his new home, just outside of Austin, Texas, in a studio he has on his land there. I was very fortunate uh, to be invited down there by Paul to talk about the new record. But uh, as this comes up a little bit later in the show, we talk a little bit about his early days in Simon and Garfunkel as well. But I wanted to talk to Paul about this incredible new record, about the dreams that inspired it, and about his new life in Texas. Here's my conversation with Paul Simon. So people who are listening to this, I'm in, I'm in your ranch in... Texas in this beautiful, small, gorgeous sort of studio. This yeah. seems to be a, a nice place for you. This feels like an important yeah, place Yeah, I you. mean, it's a, it could be misleading to call it a ranch. You know, it's, <laughs> I'm uh, Canadian. It's a a little, there's a little old farmhouse here. There's no, it's not like I have cattle or anything on mm-hmm. here. It's just uh, deer roam the property or such. Um, but yeah, it's very uh, serene here. Uh, I have a this little place that we're in is a studio, and I I did a lot of uh, the Seven Psalms record here. I yeah. did the vocals and play guitar here, and um, so it's a it's a really uh, it's a very comfortable place to be, idyllic. 
Can you tell me about the seven psalms? Like, so I, I want to talk. I love the record, by the way. I'm glad. I've been thinking about the great migration. Noon and night they leave the flock. And I imagine their destination. Meadow grass, jagged rock. I love how it sounds. I love, I love how it made me think about life. I love how it made me think about death. I love how it made me think about love. I love it harmonically. I loved it melodically. Can you tell me the story or tell us the story of the dreams you had that inspired yeah. this record? Well, uh, I had a dream on January 15th, 2019. The dream said, you're working on, or you're supposed to work on, a piece called Seven Psalms. And it was, it was strong enough that I actually got up and wrote, wrote it down in the middle of the night. So the next day I, I, I thought, you know, I don't, I'm not even sure what a psalm is. I'll look it up in the dictionary. I mean, of course I knew the word, but, but exactly, I didn't know exactly. And the Psalms in the Bible, I thought, well, I'm not going to be writing. I don't know how to write this. I won't be writing this. In fact, I don't know, I don't know how to even begin with this record. But then I thought, well, it wasn't my idea anyway. So there's nothing to do but wait, you know. And I began to write guitar pieces. And uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was after a year, maybe a year and a half, I started to dream words. You started to, what does that mean, I started to dream words? What it means is maybe three times a week, I would wake up between the hour of 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. with words coming. And... I would just write them down. If I said, oh, that's, a, that's interesting, I guess I could write something afterwards. Everything shut off. So if you try to use it as a jumping off point to write something else. As if, I used my, if I used my experience as a songwriter, yeah. it didn't work. And I just went back into this pa- passive state where I said, well... It's just one of those things where, uh, where it's f- flowing through me and I'm just taking dictation. That's happened to me in the past, but not to this degree. Other songs have come like that, kind of? I wouldn't say entire songs, no. Lines of but songs. But lines, yeah. Uh, I've dreamed things in the past. I didn't necessarily think that they were worth noting. That's why it's unusual that I got up and wrote that down. And then the words started to be, they started to flow at a, at a, at a pace that was, was comfortable. And I thought, this is really fun. I'm, not, I'm really not working at all. Uh, it's just like a kind of a gift. Good morning, Mr. Indignation. Looks like you haven't slept all night In my professional opinion And then 
my hearing started to go. And I, I started to gradually at first and then more rapidly lose all the hearing in my left ear. So while these while these words were starting to sort of flow through you, through the dreams, you were getting up, you were writing them, they were kind of just coming out of you, you weren't questioning them too much. Yeah. At the same time that that was happening, you started to lose your, it's your left ear, right? Yeah. You started to lose your hearing pretty pretty profoundly. Yeah. Jeez. Terrifying, Paul. It must For someone who's been making music for this long, it must be a bit terrifying. Um, yeah, you could say it was... I would say it was terrifying, but uh, but at first I was I just took it as a, a real annoyance. I, th- I didn't think it was permanent. Yeah, I didn't know why this was happening, and that went on for a while. I was still writing. I was still able to do. It wasn't interfering with my uh, my work on the seven psalms. Well, it was, but it was more like this is an annoyance. And then I started to think, well, all of these guitar pieces and whatever came out of dreams and whatever then came from me, I, and I thought, this is so easy, this is so much fun, and now this is a real interruption and I'm, and I'm you know, angry and annoyed. Then I started to think, you know, maybe that's the wrong idea and maybe this is another piece of information that I should incorporate somehow into the making of this. Maybe it's not just so easy. Something hard is now happening. There was meaning that something hard was happening. Could be. Yeah. I, I, I thought it's possible that this is a piece of information that's, that will be of value to the, this creation. Gonna carry my grievances down to the shore Wash them away in the tumbling tide. And um, so I finished the, finished the piece. And by then, the, the, I had pretty much lost, uh, lost, my, lost my hearing in there. It's, uh, it's a disability. Yeah. But it's not, uh, it, it's not, it's not the end of the problem. Will <laughs> it preclude the, you from playing live again? Uh, at, as f- where I'm at right now, I can't play live. Uh-huh. Uh, I haven't given up. They say the brain figures out a way to compensate for this stuff. Yeah, hasn't happened yet, but it might. Yeah, it's it's, it's it, there's meaning to me that that's what happened when you were making this record because I think one of the things that uh, I want to talk about. So the, the the songs come to you, the content of the songs. Um, caught me off guard. And it feels funny to be sitting down saying this to you, Paul, but I'll say it anyway. It's you wrestling with mortality, with death. That's what it sounds like to me. The first one, let's just talk about the first, the first mm-hmm. one. The Lord is my engineer. The Lord is the earth I ride on. The Lord is the face in the atmosphere. The you wrestling with belief, belief, a conversation with belief, whether it be religious belief, whether belief in something bigger than yourself. That's that. Talk to me a little bit about that. I think that's closer to a description that I would agree with than the question of mortality. Oh yeah. 
Yes, the mortality is in there, certainly in the last piece. Wait, I'm not ready. I'm just packing my gear. But the last piece, Wait, uh, that was written, I think it was written last. So when I got up to the point where I wrote, was writing a song that was about that subject, I had a reason for having that subject be the conclusion of the album. It's, it felt like this is a, a final statement after all of this other exploration of belief, disbelief, whatever, whatever it is that uh, seemed to be on my mind and in my subconscious. But it also starts off, I think, with a thing, I've been thinking about the Great Migration. Yeah. I've been thinking about the Great Migration. One by one, they leave the flock. Noon and night, they leave the flock. That's because... Um, uh, yeah, at this age, there are, you know, fr friends who, who die. And when it happens, you do, you really, you do think about it. Uh, I don't find that it's a, an insistent thought in my life. I don't feel like it's imminent or anything, although I, had a, I did have a really nasty case of COVID. Did you? Yeah. In, uh, in uh, early April, really, I was really, really sick. Were, were you worried about? I wasn't worried. No, it's interesting. No, I wasn't worried. But I recognized, oh, yeah, I can see a chain of events that would put me here. Yeah. You know, but I wasn't. Now you're just, you know, you feel too miserable to be worried. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah so. okay. Anyway, the yeah, mortality uh, is, not, is not nearly the question of embracing the idea of God or un, any other word you want to choose for God. That question is a tough question to, to think about and is also... As a writer uh, about it, I often thought, can I, should I say this? Uh, it's, almost, uh, it's almost awkward to say, well, I've been thinking about this big subject. Awkward to think, to, to say that you've been thinking about existential yeah, ideas it, of belief, whether there's a greater power than us, where God is, if God does exist. Yeah, awkward. Awkward to write it in a song and say, here's my opinion, because I could, I could also say, I'm not really sure what my opinion of my opinion is. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I put, it, I put it out there because it was, it was an honest expression of how I was feeling. I lived a life of pleasant sorrow. Until the real deal came Broke me like a twig in a winter gale Called me by my name um, 
my the awkwardness is I didn't know whether my honesty was really honest enough. <laughs> I didn't know whether my honesty was really honest enough. I don't know what you mean. When you get into quest, really big questions, questions that are bigger than your capacity to understand, yeah. then the thing that's always in your head is, in order to say anything, you have to somehow keep saying, you know, I really don't understand what I'm saying. Uh, I feel it, but I... I don't know how, I didn't know how a listener would, would take what I did. Because I don't know your religious inclination. I have none. No? No, I'm not religious. Who do you think was giving you the Psalms? Who do you think that was? Oh, I don't, I have no idea. I don't, you haven't thought about I wouldn't, it? I wouldn't have even said it was a who. Who do I think? I think it was I. It was I. I think this is within all of us to grapple with with the with these questions. Uh, and since I express myself more easily through music than I do through any other medium, that's how I'm addressing these these issues, which are hard to hard to define. Did you come close to any answers? I don't know. I don't know if I came close. But what do you think? The, the parts of the uh, album that are, or the song suite that are sticking out to me in this moment are, you know, the Lord is... Uh, now I'm going to quote your lyrics back to you. The Lord is a virgin forest. And the Lord is a virgin forest. So the Lord is within nature and within the, the world around us. The Lord is the the Lord is a forest ranger. The Lord is a forest ranger. The kindness and generosity the that's Lord empowered in us to look after. Look at me explaining your lyrics back to you. Look after you know. The Lord is also the COVID virus, something that I just found out you were afflicted by. Right. Um, the the Lord is at the rising sea level. So. COVID virus is the Lord. The Lord is the ocean rising. So if, if God can be both nature, if God can be our kindness and generosity, if God is everywhere, well, then isn't God also in the bad stuff too? Right. I think yes. That's what I mean by did you get any close to any answers? I, was, I wasn't well, asking you what the meaning of life is. You know, but I'd yeah, love to know. I, you know, I, I didn't ask the question, if you think that there is a God, where where is he? And I, I didn't then say, my answer is everywhere. His, uh, the Lord is uh, my engineer. The Lord is the earth I ride on. The Lord is the virgin forest. He's also the caretaker. He's also the forest ranger. He's also the Lord is, a vir- Lord is the, COVID vi- the COVID virus is the Lord. The Lord is the oceans rising. The Lord is a terrible swift sword, which is a line from the Battle Hymn of the Republic, mm-hmm. the American. Mm-hmm. So the, ba- the Battle Hymn of the Republic. We're, we're in a, we happen to be in a battle right now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that answers that question. But, but 
I didn't pose that question to myself and then answer it. What did you do? I didn't do anything. It's just the, this. This is this is what came out. And when when things came out, I said, as I always do, well, do do I believe that? Did I just say something that I that I that I think is a fair expression of what I feel? And if I said, yeah, I do, I I believe that. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but uh, yeah, if I have to express myself. I'll 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 do it that way, and uh, I can I can live with that, you know. I never get to say it perfectly, uh, but it's a, it's a pretty good try, and I'll leave that there and move on to the next line. That's kind of been the that's kind of how it's always been for you. Yeah, that's the way it's always been. Yeah, what's the line? Um, Losing love is like a window to your heart. That's like that's that's as close as you can get to. Uh-huh. That was true. Yeah. She said, losing love is like a window in your heart. That's me. Yeah, that's, that's what my... I say. Well, that's true. I think that's true for That's me. maybe my favorite line of yours, by the way. That's one of mine, too. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for saying so. Yeah, I like that that's one the, a lot. Yeah, that's the key line in Graceland. See, I'm born to Graceland. Yeah, it's, it's, I understand what you mean now. That's as honest and true. Who knows whether we should write it down on a tablet, right? Or whether we should put it in a history book. But in terms uh, of the way, especially you... since you're offering, you're offering to the world an insight into what you think. So you're very vulnerable then, because the world will give will will make a comment back about how you think. And it can sometimes be, you know, cruel. You mean that when, uh, because you became very well known for these these songs, um, like you're right. I mean, I I would take that losing love is like winter to your heart. I would think deeply about that, and I would think about a philosophy based on what you said. You know, or especially if you go back to some of those early songs. Because you say it, people take it very seriously. They treat you like a philosopher. They treat you like a. Someone like a politician. I mean, isn't that a line in one of the in one of the songs as well? I'm not a doctor or a preacher. Yeah. I'm not a doctor or a preacher. Isn't that kind of what you're saying there? That's true. I mean, as I, you know, there, there's a cert, at a certain point when you're making things up, you have to stop editing and thinking about what you're thinking and say. It's just a song, you know. It's a song, and there's aside from what I'm saying lyrically, there's what I'm saying musically, and the combination of that is saying something that's not that's ineffable. It's not you can't really you can't really get a hold of it or pin it down. It's 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 elusive, and that's sort of what's what's pleasurable about it when it's right. And then the listener takes it in, and as I've thought for a long, long time, the listener completes the song. The listener completes the song. The listener completes the song, not not the songwriter. The listener hears it and says, oh, that means, that's about this. Yeah. That means this to me. And the listener quite often changes the lyrics. You know, it's like... It's, it's happened to me many times in my life where people said, I love this line that you said, and then they 
tell me the line and it's changed. Yeah, Ceylon Silver Bird is one I hear a lot. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. That's right. And they think it's about ecology. They think it's about... No, you know, yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah. I, I can, you know, I have also often heard people's interpretation of what I wrote that is more interesting than what I thought it meant. The songs are saturated with enough ambiguity that they would allow for other interpretations that could be more powerful or insightful than what I thought at the time. That can, that can happen, and it's true. You're, more, you're, you're comfortable with that? Absolutely. I think it's kind of interesting to hear, to hear what your song is through somebody else's ears. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Sail on, silver girl. For whatever reason, that was the song that was sticking in my head the whole time I was talking to him. I kept on looking at him and going, you wrote Bridge Over Troubled Water. I'm talking about my guest on the show today, Paul Simon. Before that, you heard me talking to Paul about his latest album, Seven Psalms, which is his 15th. Coming up, Paul talks a little bit about the early days for him, about his early days in folk music, about his early days working with Garfunkel, which is a story that involves England and Carole King and nerdy folk musicians and a conversation that only happened because of the T-shirt I happened to be wearing that day. More of my conversation with Paul Simon coming up. Hi, I'm Willa Paskin, the host of Dakota Ring, Slate's podcast about cracking cultural mysteries. On Dakota Ring, we dive down rabbit holes and obsessively explore questions hiding in plain sight. Like, why has slow dancing gone out of style? And when did we all become obsessed with hydration? And where did the word mullet, you know, to describe a hairstyle, come from? That's Dakota Ring, named one of the best podcasts of 2023 by The New York Times. Listen to new episodes every two weeks and make sure to follow us so you never miss one. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. If this record jumps any number that's below 80, it could be a hit. Yeah. And it did. And I thought... My life has changed. Really? It's permanently changed. And his life did change thanks to this song. Well, not this version of The Sound of Silence. This is an earlier version. But he'll tell you how another version of that song changed his life forever. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. I'll be honest with you. When I flew down to Austin, Texas to talk with Paul Simon, I wasn't sure how much of the early days he would want to talk about. But here's the thing. When I showed up at his place, I was wearing this T-shirt with kind of like a a shirt over it. And the T-shirt was of this British folk rock band from the 60s called Fairport Convention. To be honest with you, I didn't think much of it when I put it on. It was just the shirt I wore that day. But Paul noticed it right off the bat. And you might not know this, but Paul Simon, and he'll tell you the story. Early in his career, he spent time in the British folk music scene of the early to mid-60s. And you could tell that shirt brought back these strong memories for him. And all of a sudden, this guy who I was worried about talking about the old days started telling stories about his origins, which led to him opening up about how Simon and Garfunkel got their big break and all about the sound of silence. So yeah, lucky t-shirt. So that's all coming up, but we begin by talking about Fairport Convention and my shirt. Here's the second part of my conversation with Paul Simon. 
What's that? Fairport Convention? Is that what it's going to say? Yeah, it's a Fairport Convention. Oh, wow, Convention. Fairport Convention. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's my world. Wasn't that Sandy Denny? Yeah, Sandy Denny, Richard Thompson. I knew her. How often she has gazed from castle windows all And watched the daylight passing within her captive wall You know, I knew her when she was a nurse yeah. and wanted to be a singer. Yeah. And she was going out with this folk guy, Jackson Frank, yeah. who wrote a really beautiful song called Blues Run the Game. Catch a boat to England, baby, maybe to Spain, wherever I have gone, wherever I've been and gone, wherever I have gone, the blues are all the same. Which you guys did. Which Simon and Garfunkel did. Yeah. Catch a boat to England, baby, maybe to Spain. Wherever I have gone, wherever I've been and gone, wherever I have gone, the blues run the game. And then Jackson Frank and I, well, I guess it was after Simon and Garfunkel was a hit, but anyway, I, I produced his solo album uh, with that with that song produced is a kind of a funny word because i mean he sang sang and played guitar it's yeah. the same as my sol- solo album mm-hmm. that i did in england i was 21 years when i wrote this song i'm 22 now but i won't be for long he just went into the studio and uh you just made an album in, a, in three hours. You, yeah, sang, you went, sang all your songs. Sounds good. Uh-huh. Do that again. That kind of stuff. You know, pretty. You know, pretty much. Yeah, that was. Uh, I love that. Recording. Anyway, I was just thrilled that I could even make a record. Then, if you were, if you were on the folk scene and you were playing, if you had an album, that put you in another, another status. Yeah, another category. So, you know, some of the people now from that, from that time have become, for a small group of people that are like, interested in it, like have become me. cult heroes. You yeah. know, Bert Jantz. And Martin Carthy. Martin Carthy. And Martin Carthy actually is a kind of pretty influential guy because... On you, was, right? On me. He taught me, or I imitated his arrangement of Scarborough Fair... Are you going to Scarborough Fair? Parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. My first uh, flat that I rented in England was Martin Carthy's. He was mo- he was moving out, and I moved into it, basement flat. So he was a, pr- a pretty influential. Guy, mm-hmm. I mean, not only was he a star in that world, but mm-hmm. he also influenced me and he influenced Dylan and who who knows who else. Uh, so it's interesting, you yeah. know these these people. And that world was a, was a very interesting world. The English folk scene was different from the New York Bleecker and McDougal folk scene. What 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 brought you over there in the first place? Because you were already like, well, the story I know of you is that like. People think it started with the Sound of Silence or, or Wednesday Morning 3 a.m. Like, 
The dude. But Hey School Girl was in the oh, no, 60 well, well, we were teenagers. You, that was the American Bandstand. That wasn't, yeah. that wasn't nothing. Hey, school girl in the second row. The teacher's looking over, so I got to whisper way down low. Oh, no, no, that was a, especially in, uh, in my high school. You know, it was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I sang with Artie, and... Uh, we sang, we were, we were called Tom and Jerry. I was Jerry. Yeah, I, I know and, it. Uh, One Landis and Graf, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's funny, yeah. the stuff that you decide when you're 16 years old. <laughs> yeah, we were on American Bandstand, and uh, our song won the you know, competition. And the record was, the record was kind of a, a hit uh, on the... East of the Mississippi, the record company was so small, it didn't have distribution west of the Mississippi. But it, it got on the charts, like it, in the top 50 nationally. Yeah. When we were, when we were kids. You know, I think, we, I, think I made $5,000 or something for I, that. I heard you bought a convertible with it. I did. I bought a convertible and it burned to the ground. <laughs> what do you mean it, it was burned a, to the it ground? Was a, it was a 58 Red Impala. <laughs> With triple carburetors, and it caught fire while I was while I was driving. It burned to the ground. It really was a heartbreaking thing to watch your first and favorite car burn to burn. Yeah. So is that why you go to England? You're like, okay, well, I did that. No, I did well, that. I went to England uh, much later. That was when I was 16. I went to England after I graduated from uh, Queen's College. Uh, for reasons that are make no sense whatsoever, I went to law school for a year. Well, the reason was a bunch of my friends were taking the, the law boards, and they said, why don't you take it? So I, I had no interest in doing that. But I took the law boards and scored very high on it. And so I thought, oh, maybe this is what I'm supposed to be doing. But I went there for, and for a year, and I thought, I don't know what I'm doing here. I, I, I want to be able, I want to hire these people to work. For, I don't want to work for somebody else as their lawyer. Yeah. So uh, the first trip that I that I took uh, abroad, I went to I went to England and to France. I went to Paris, and in Paris there were people would busk. And so I had a guitar. I would travel with the guitar, and I would sing on, on the street. And, um, and you could make enough money to, you know, pay for, your, pay for a, a room for the night and have your meals and stuff like that. A couple of nights, I slept under a bridge at Pont Neuf. And there I met these English kids. And they said, when you come to England, come and, come and stay with us. Was a a guy named Dave McCausland. Mm -hmm. So when I went back, um, I stayed with the McCausland family, uh, and I lived with them in uh, in Essex, in a town called Brentwood, yeah. in, in Essex. And then I quit law school, uh, obviously. And uh, I went to live out in, 
in Brentwood, and I went to folk clubs, and I got hired one to play one place. I got I got paid three pounds, and uh, that's how it began. Well, what were you singing? Were you singing? So I had a bunch of songs of mine, maybe three or four, and then I sang. Uh, whatever folk folk stuff was popular, maybe something from a Joan Baez first album. Yeah. Don't sing love songs. You'll wake my mother. Uh, I sang uh, my babe, little Walter. My babe, don't, don't stand no cheating now. Yep, yeah. sang that. My baby, don't stand no cheating, my baby. A little bit of blues, just just put it putting it together, and continued to write. Got booked more often. My price went up from five pounds to seven pounds mm. to ten until finally, right before I left to come back, after the sound of silence became a hit. I was making twenty five pounds a night, and which was pretty close to the top that anybody was making. And, but to give you an idea of, of what it was, the average working man's salary in England at the time was 37 pounds a week. So you were making 25 a night. And I was working three or four nights a week. You were doing all right. Oh, I could take taxis. Yeah. I could, you know have a nice flat, you know, for me. Well, hold on. So you, is it a phone call? Does someone call you in England and say, hey, Paul, get back here? That song you did sound as no, Artie, hit? Artie said, we made a record. And what happened was, when I was still in college, I took a job working for a publisher, E.B. Marks Music. And my job was to take the songs in their catalog and go around to record companies in New York, this is New York, yeah. and try and convince them to take songs from their catalog and record it with their artists. And one of the, one of the A&R people that I met was Tom Wilson at Columbia Records. Yeah. And uh, I was writing songs myself then, so that, I think that's when I wrote Sound of Silence. And I went, and bec- oh, uh, Prior to this, my experience was after the Tom and Jerry Hey School Girl, yeah. I, I started to get work doing demos for people. Uh, songwriters would, would call me and I would come in and sing their song, you know, like they'd say, we want Frankie Avalon to sing this song. So I would, you know, not do an imitation of Frankie Avalon, but... Yeah, you know, do a. I was, a, I was a teenage, you know, teenager or just past my teens. Any future hits? Did you do that to any songs that became hits? The one song that became a hit, you won't know it. It was a wasn't a big hit, but I was going to Queens College in New York at the time. Mm-hmm. So was Carol King. Oh, cool. Whose name is Carol Klein, and uh, so we met there. And she had also made a record as a teenager. Oh, really? But it wasn't a hit. Oh, yeah. I know I 
But we met and, uh, you know, we became friends, and then we started to do demos together. I would, we both could sing. I would play guitar and bass. She could play piano and drums. And we could sing together and throw harmonies down quickly. This is really how I learned how to do all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and we once made a demo of a song called Just To Be With You. Just to be with you. And the group that sang it had a hit with it. Not a big hit, yeah, but it. a hit. That's the only thing that I ever did that was was a hit. But I, I, now I understood about the demo world and how to do this. And when I made The Sound of Silence, I made a demo of it. And Jim McGuinn, who became Roger McGuinn yeah. in The Birds, yeah. he, he helped me with it. And when I was going around to selling, try to sell these songs for E.B. Mark's music... I had this demo of mine, and I showed it to Tom Wilson. He was recording a group called uh, The Pilgrims. They weren't big. And he's also recording Bob Dylan. Yeah, that's how I would know him from recording Bob Dylan. Come gather around people wherever you roam. So I said, I have this song. And he said, I'd like to, oh, I like that song. Uh, I, I, maybe I'll record that with the Pilgrims. And I said, well, I have a friend. And he, he and I sing, can sing this song together. That was Artie, who I, who I our, our friendship was suspended after high school because he went to a different college than I did. But then we met up after college, and uh, we, we began to sing together again. And Anyway, I wrote The Sound of Silence. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because we sang it together, and I said, my friend and I can sing this song too, and could we, you know, could we audition for you? And he said, yeah, you can. So we came in, and he said, I'd like to make a... uh, I'll take you into the studio and do a a demo of a couple of songs for you and see if Columbia will sign you. And they did. And we made our first solo album. called Wednesday Morning, 3 a.m. Beautiful record. Is it? I haven't heard it in many years. I I just got a copy of it on vinyl like last month. It'd probably be interesting to hear. Yeah, sounds great. I can hear the soft breathing of the girl that I love As she lies here beside me asleep with the night Anyway, we made it. It came out. I was, it was, I was in law school at the time it came out. It came out, was not a hit. Went away. I quit law school, moved to England, and... Uh, maybe a six months or eight months later after it came out, came and went, Artie said, they were, uh, Tom wants to go into the studio 
an overdub electric instruments on this. Yeah. In the same way that he had done with uh, Dylan, because it was folk, folk rock was mm-hmm. happening. So, so they overdubbed these instruments. In restless dreams I walked Elect- electric 12-string drums, bass. And I was in England. And, uh, you know, the, he said, they said, uh, you know, is that okay with you? And I said, yeah, sure. I mean, the record was whatever. Yeah. Sure, go for it. And they did, and, um, and then they already wrote, and he said... Uh, you know the record is. They, they used to have a, they used to have the, the top one hundred, and they used to be in one of the magazines, Billboard or Cashbox. I don't know. They used to have like a. Whatever it was called, looking ahead or anyway, it was yeah. it was the next, twenty songs. So they said, Artie wrote to me. He said, "Sound of Silence is one 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 eleven." I said, "Wow, that's great." And then, like the next week, it was 101. Oh, wow. And I thought, whoa, the, the week after this, is gonna, that's going to be the week. Because if this, if this record jumps any number that's below 80, it's, it could be a hit. Yeah. And it did. Yeah. It jumped up. It came in at like 59 or something. And I thought... My life has changed. Really? It's permanently changed. Yeah, I said, this is, this is going to be a hit. This can probably be a big hit, because that's a big jump, you know. And uh, I said to my girlfriend, Kathy, at the time, yeah. I said, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go back to America and, you know, do this. And I could maybe make $30,000 this year, you know. And I went back and I, I you know, I made three hundred thousand yeah. dollars, and everything and changed. Was it. Everything it, changed. Everything was, everything was, and all these songs that I wrote in England. It's crazy. I came back. I had written "Homeward Bound." I'm sitting in the railway station, got a ticket for my destination. Then I am a rock. I am a rock. I am a Four or five of the songs that are on that, what is it? Uh, Sound of Silence. Sound of Silence, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's how it started. It's kind of a well-known story by now, but I'm telling it again. Well, I got to tell you, man, like I knew a little bit of it, but it's fun to hear from you. Uh, <laughs> it's fun to... Thanks. I'm getting this one. It's time to go. Paul Simon, lovely to meet you. Nice to meet you too, Tom. Nice to talk with you. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I was sleeping And the vision that was planted in my brain Still remains within the sound of silence Restless dreams I walked alone Now the streets of cobblestone Neath 
From 1966, that is the, I mean, I guess it's the electric version of The Sound of Silence by Simon and Garfunkel from their album Sounds of Silence. Before that, my conversation with Paul Simon, which we recorded at Paul's studio at his home just outside of Austin, Texas. Now, if you want to watch that conversation, if you want to see what his studio looks like, uh, we've uploaded the video to YouTube. Go to youtube.com. Search for uh, Q with Tom Power. You'll find it there. You can find me on Instagram, Tom Joe Power. There's some stuff there. But most importantly, Paul Simon wants you to listen to his new record, Seven Psalms, all in one go. It's a 33-minute piece of music. I heartily recommend you do so, especially after hearing that conversation. Paul's new album, Seven Psalms, is out now. Molly Tuttle, and you're listening to Q with Tom Power. All right, that's it for Q today. Uh, before we go, just take a listen to this. Is the moon shining bright where you are? Is it even shining at all? Running like a white line down the middle of some old memory. So speaking of legendary songwriters, so that's that's William Prince right there. He's a great songwriter himself, you know, incredible Canadian songwriter. I was there the night that William Prince sang in honor of Neil Young. And Neil Young loved William Prince's music so much that he took him on the road with him as an opening act. So now William Prince is no longer Canada's best kept secret and he'll be here to talk a little bit about his life, about playing with Willie Nelson on his ranch, taking center stage at the Grand Ole Opry, and why he wanted his latest album called Stand in Joy to be a message of hope in dark times. That is tomorrow on Q, but in the meantime, here's more of William Prince's song, When You Miss Someone. Lost and profound, professing to a silhouette of trees on the ground here in front of me. When you miss someone Tears you apart and then some When you miss someone Someone you love William Prince there with When You Miss Someone. I'm Tom Power. We'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.